Hello, listeners. This is Mike, your host. If you are enjoying these archive episodes, please consider supporting the podcast by going to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and clicking on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. Hopefully, with your support, I can continue to release these archive episodes. Thanks. Welcome, this is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 158 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Soyuz 2 and 3. The Soviet space program experienced great success in its early years, but by the mid-1960s, the pace of success had slowed. While the Voskhod program achieved the first multi-crewed spaceflight and first spacewalk, Problems encountered led to its termination after only two flights, allowing the United States to surpass the Soviet achievements with Project Gemini. The Soyuz program was intended to rejuvenate the Soviet space program by developing space rendezvous and docking capability and practical extravehicular activity without tiring the cosmonaut, as had been demonstrated by the U.S. in Project Gemini. These capabilities would be required for the Salyut space station program. Soyuz 1, covered in episodes 139 through 141, had been launched with the goal of docking with the manned Soyuz 2 craft. But even before the second craft was launched, problems with Soyuz 1 made it clear that Soyuz 2 had to be canceled before the landing of Soyuz-1. This probably saved the lives of the three-man Soyuz-2 crew. I'm sure you recall Soyuz-1 ended with the death of cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov on April 23, 1967 due to a faulty parachute system. Soyuz-2 would have flown with the same defective system as Soyuz-1. As a result, the Soyuz spacecraft was revised for Soyuz 2 and Soyuz 3 in 1968. In the meantime, the Soviets did perform a semi-successful docking in automatic mode as covered in episode 143. Soyuz 3 was another attempt at the first Soviet manned docking with an unmanned Soyuz vehicle. This time, cosmonaut Georgi Beregovoy would pilot the Soyuz 3 and attempt to dock with an unmanned Soyuz 2. Now for a little background information on Berigovoy. Georgi Berigovoy was born on April 15, 1921 in Fedovrivka, Poltava Oblast, Soviet Union, which is now the Ukraine. He graduated from the school at Yanakiv Donetsk Oblast in 1938. Then he joined the Air Force in 1941 
and was soon assigned to a ground attack unit flying the Aleutian IL-2. He flew 185 combat sorties during the course of World War II and rose quickly through the ranks, finishing the war as a captain and squadron commander. Following World War II, he became a test pilot, and over the next 16 years, Tess flew 60 different aircraft, rising to the rank of Colonel and the position of Deputy Chief of the Air Force's Flight Testing Department. He graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1956, and in 1962, he applied and was accepted for cosmonaut training. In 1965, Colonel Boy was scheduled to fly the following year in Voskhod 3, but the mission was never launched. On October 25, 1968, became the oldest man to go to orbit at the time of his flight, since he was born three months and three days earlier than the second earliest born man in orbit, John Glenn, but later than the X-15 pilot, Joe Walker, who made two or three, according to the United States Air Force definition, suborbital space flights. Beregovoy was 47 years of age at the time of his flight. Beregovoy's backup was Vladimir Shatalov. Shatalov was born on August 12, 1927 in Petropavlovsk, Kakistan, Oblast. He graduated from the Kachinsk Military Pilot School in 1949. He graduated from Monino Military Academy in 1956. He earned a candidate of technical science degree in 1972, and he was selected as cosmonaut on August 1, 1963. Like Beregovoy, Shatalov was also assigned to Voskhod 3, which never flew. Selected as reserve for Soyuz 3 was Boris Volyanov. Volyanov was born on December 18, 1934 in Irkutsk, Siberia, but then his family relocated and he finished secondary school in Kamerovo Oblast in 1952. The next year he completed basic pilot training in Pavlodar, Kakistan, and in 1955, graduated from an aviation school in Novosibirsk. From September 1961 to January 1968, he studied at the Facility of Engineering of the Zukovsky Air Force Engineering Academy and graduated with a diploma of a pilot engineer cosmonaut. In 1960, Volyanov was selected as a cosmonaut. Now that we've met the crew, the backup, and the reserve, let's consider some of the hardware used on this mission. The hardware for both the manned Soyuz 3 and the unmanned Soyuz 2 was a Soyuz 7K OK. Recall the Soyuz 7K OK spacecraft was composed of three elements attached end-to-end. The orbital module, the descent module, and the instrumentation-slash-propulsion module. The crew occupied the central element, the descent module. The other two modules were jettisoned prior to re-entry. They would burn up in the atmosphere, so only the descent module returned to Earth. 
The Soyuz carrier rocket number 11A511 was a 1960s era Soviet expendable rocket designed by OKB-1 and manufactured by the State Aviation Plant Number no. 1 in Kupashev, Soviet Union. It was used to launch Soyuz spacecraft as part of the Soyuz program, initially on unmanned test flights followed by the first 19 manned launches of the program. It also had the capability to be used as a ballistic missile. This version of the Soyuz launcher was introduced in 1966. It was derived from the Vostok launcher, which in turn was based on the R-7 intercontinental ballistic missile. It was initially a three-stage rocket with a Block 1 upper stage. The new version introduced an uprated core stage and strap-on boosters, which became standard for all R-7-derived launch vehicles. Now moving on to the objectives for the mission. The main objectives for this rendezvous flight were a complex testing of all spacecraft systems, which was necessary after the Soyuz 1 accident, joint flight with the Soyuz 2 spacecraft, testing of spacecraft maneuvering and docking in Earth with Soyuz 2, the development of elements necessary for celestial navigation, and to conduct research under spaceflight conditions. Now, on to the mission. The Soviets showed some confidence in their spacecraft by launching the unmanned Soyuz 2 first, but showed some caution by not sending a cosmonaut in Soyuz 2. Soyuz 2's launch mass was 6,450 kilograms. It was launched on October 25, 1968 at 7.51 UTC. This is how it sounded. Soyuz 2 was inserted into an orbit of 191 kilometers perigee and 229 kilometers apogee. There it stayed as the unmanned passive vehicle waiting to rendezvous with Soyuz 3. The following day, October 26, 1968, at 8.34 Universal Time, Soyuz 3 was launched from the Baikonur Cosmodrome. Here is how it sounded. At T plus 118 seconds, the strap-on boosters were jettisoned. At T plus 160 seconds, the shroud and the escape tower were released. At T plus 300 seconds, the core stage dropped away. At T plus 540 seconds, the upper stage was released. And at T plus 583 seconds, Soyuz 3, with cosmonaut Beregovoy, was placed in an orbit of 183 kilometers perigee 
and 205 kilometers apogee. About a half hour after entering orbit, ground controllers were able to bring Soyuz 2 and 3 within 200 meters of one another. Then, Berekovoy took control of Soyuz 3 to complete the manual docking maneuver. He was able to close the gap to about one meter, but was not able to dock with Soyuz 2. Berekovoy made a second rendezvous and docking attempt the next day, but once again failed to dock. The failures were either due to incorrect configuration of the running lights on Soyuz 2 or cosmonaut error. Soyuz 2 was supposed to have two continuously illuminated lights on its upper side and two blinking lights on the lower side. Most likely, the Regavoid didn't identify these correctly in weightlessness. Eventually, almost all of the maneuvering fuel was expended and the docking objective had to be abandoned. Telemetry analysis showed Soyuz 3 used 30 kilograms of propellant during 20 minutes of maneuvering in the automatic regime during docking, followed by 40 kilograms consumed in 2 minutes of manual maneuvering. Only 8 to 10 kilograms of fuel remained. After the mission was complete, the failure to dock was blamed solely on Beregovoy's piloting because he was essentially trying to dock the spacecraft upside down. A few hours later, with no reason to remain in space, Soyuz 2 was sent back to Earth and landed around 7.51 Universal Time the next day, October 28, 1968. Beregovoy remained in orbit, making topographical and meteorological observations for the next two days. Beregovoy also treated television viewers to a live tour of the spacecraft interior. In addition, the Soviets published a photo of Soyuz 3's launch vehicle on the pad at Baikonur, marking the first time that the R-7 was shown to the outside world. On October 30, 1968, after completing 81 full orbits of the Earth, it was time to return. The Soyuz 7K-OK separated from its orbital module and performed the deorbit burn. The service module was released, and having shed two-thirds of its mass, the Soyuz reached entry interface a point 121.9 kilometers above the Earth, where friction, due to the thickening atmosphere, began to heat its outer surfaces. With only 23 minutes left before landing, attention in the descent module turned to slowing its speed. About 15 minutes before landing, two pilot parachutes were the first to be released, and a drogue chute attached to the second one followed immediately after. The drogue chute measured 24 square meters in area. It slowed the rate of descent from 230 meters per second to 80 meters per second. Next, the main parachute emerged. It was the largest chute with a surface area of 1,000 square meters. Its harness shifted the vehicle's attitude to a 30 degree angle relative to the ground 
dissipating heat and then shifted it again to a straight vertical descent prior to landing. The main chute slowed the Soyuz to a descent rate of only 7.3 meters per second, which was still a little too fast for a comfortable landing. One second before touchdown, two sets of three small engines on the bottom of the vehicle fired, slowing the vehicle to soften the landing. The descent module landed near the city of Karagandane, Kakistan, about 10 kilometers from the target. The landing was fortuitously cushioned by a blizzard's snowfall. Despite sub-zero temperatures, Beregovoy's landing was so easy, he said later, that he hardly felt the impact at all. The Soviets held Soyuz 3 as a complete success. On this mission, the Soviets continued their practice of withholding information. The launch of Soyuz 2 was not reported by the Soviet Union until Soyuz 3 was safely aloft. Then an official announcement was made. Although other nations were aware through their own monitors that the Soviets were conducting a mission. The Soviet government also concealed the fact that docking had been unsuccessfully attempted. Contemporary Western news reports described the orbital mission of Soyuz 3 in the same manner as the Soviet press, referring to a successful rendezvous with Soyuz 2, but characterizing it as a test with no actual ship-to-ship docking planned. This interpretation was widely accepted for many years afterward. The intended docking was only disclosed after the breakup of the Soviet Union, allowing historians to reassess the presumed success of the mission. The flight of Soyuz 3 had numerous effects on the future of space exploration, both short and long term. The flawless recovery of Soyuz 3 left the spacecraft designers with the impression that re-entry and landing systems had been perfected. That impression would be challenged with the Zond 6 flight. The value of the Outer Space Survey of Earth was a defining step in the development of the Soyuz program's grand strategy. The later evolution of space-based research platforms have roots in Beregovoy's lengthy and meticulous data collection. Even the failure of the space docking proved an experimental benefit to the Soviet space program. After the demoralizing catastrophe of Soyuz 1, the credible achievements and safe return of Soyuz 3 breathed new life into the faltering program. New flights continued apace, and they put the knowledge gained from Soyuz 3 towards missions of increasing audacity and success. Even with Beregovoy's failure to dock, he was celebrated as a hero upon his return. Soyuz 3 was Beregovoy's only spaceflight, and soon after it he retired from active duty, but that did not end his involvement in the public eye. At a public ceremony in honor of the Soviet cosmonaut team, Beregovoy was lightly wounded 
during the 1969 assassination attempt upon Leonid Brezhnev. In October 1969, Konstantin Fyoktistok and Beregovoy traveled as guests of NASA throughout the U.S., visiting any city they chose and the Disneyland Amusement Park in California. They were joined on the trip by U.S. astronauts as hosts, including Gene Cernan, Neil Armstrong, and others. Kurt Douglas and others hosted receptions for them in Hollywood, and almost every place they went, when accompanied by Gene Cernan, if a band was present, they played the song, Fly Me to the Moon. When they visited Disneyland Park, they enjoyed the ride called Trip to the Moon, then joked with the U.S. astronauts that they went to Disneyland and not the moon. It was a trip that all enjoyed and international friendships were made. During their visit, they were protected by special agents of the U.S. State Department by request of NASA. After returning from his tour, Beregovoy took up a position at the Center for Cosmonaut Training, and in 1972, he was made director of that facility. In 1983, he was a consultant for the film Our Century, and eventually he became a member of the Soviet Parliament representing the Donbass region of the Ukraine, SSR. In this capacity, he reportedly helped Viktor Yanukovych to start a new life, getting his two criminal convictions expunged from the court records. Many years later, Yanukovych became prime minister and then president of the modern independent Ukraine. On June 30, 1995, Beregovoy died during heart surgery and was buried in the Novodevichy Cemetery in Moscow. Beregovoy was awarded the title of Hero of the Soviet Union twice, first time on October 26, 1944, for his military service during World War II, and the second time for his spaceflight. He was the only Soviet cosmonaut who undertook the spaceflight while already being a hero of the Soviet Union for a previous achievement unrelated to space travel. archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.